Welcome to Life in the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling the stories of women living in rural and remote Australia. I'm Em Herbert and I'm your host for today. I'm sure I'm not the only one who has had dreams of falling. In my dream, I tilt, lose my balance and fall through space. I lose my stomach and feel the disconcerting rush of gravity. I always wake up before I hit the ground. Felicity Wheel knows all too well what that feels like. But the thing is, Felicity didn't dream about her experience. She lived it, falling six metres through the roof of her family's farm shed in 2017 on their 800 hectare sheep and beef farm near Cowra, New South Wales. This is the story of what happens after the fall, when Felicity woke up nearly six years ago to find it wasn't a dream, but a life-altering experience that left her without the use of her legs when she was only 21 years old, and how she's gone from lying in hospital for four months to gearing up to do her very best to qualify for the 2024 Paralympics. So the day of the accident, it was 31st of August 2017. And yeah, normal day, uh, working for my dad um, and with my partner at the time, we both worked um, on the family farm. So uh, it was it was drought at the time. So we were feeding stock and we just traveled down to a separate property that had stock on it. And we just had to check a roof that um, needed to had some sheets to be replaced so we literally just thought we'd scoot in there quickly have a look measure up and then go and feed I think it was sheep we were feeding anyway we, I didn't even have to go up on the roof um it was you know Andrew could have done it by himself but I thought you know I'm here might as well help instead of sitting in the car so yeah got up there measuring the um alcinite sheets which is like the the clear sort of um tin looking stuff <laughs> so it had just disintegrated with um, years of being in the sun and um, yeah I was walking along the beam like you should uh, but it cracked underneath my foot as I went to step over because the strip was too wide to do one step so I sort of had to tread on the edge to go onto the tin but it cracked and I slipped and unfortunately I fell straight through it um, you know dad says yeah, if I'd landed on the tin I probably would have been all right he said I probably would have been in a bit of trouble because I would have bent it but <laughs> I would have been okay so yeah, I fell through and it was about five or six metres drop. Um, I was conscious the whole time, so fell through and I landed with my back sort of curved, but I landed on my back and that's what's done the damage is I've burst my T12 vertebrae and uh, it's literally, it just sort of explodes. So I don't have that vertebrae anymore. And I think, thinking back, I reckon I did the damage because I landed flat on my back, but of course, when you're in a tremendous amount of pain, you roll over into the fetal position and I dislocated my spine. So I reckon because I'd rolled over, it dislocated up to the left side and it compressed the nerves around my spinal cord. So yeah, <laughs> it was a little bit traumatic. I mean, you know, you don't think of it while you're, while all that's going on and, you know, I don't hate myself for it. I didn't know what was going on, like nothing like that. It was just one of those things that, you know, years on you go, oh maybe that was what did that you know it was just sort of a I don't even know what made me think of it but yeah it was there and um yeah they've got ambulances and helicopter took me to Royal North Shore Hospital where I was there for three months um I yeah, had a six-hour surgery to put two rods and heap of screws just to hold my spine together and then um a further two months at rehab 
Were you cognizant as you fell that, oh, shit, I'm falling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, like, you know, I closed my eyes and it was the weirdest feeling. Like my arms are sort of out in front of me. I can feel my feet out in front of me just falling down and it was the strangest feeling but I was kind of like oh shit (laughs) this is not gonna be great (laughs) oh this is gonna hurt I think is what I was thinking yeah wow and so when you were taken to hospital what was the diagnosis or how quickly were you given your diagnosis and what was your reaction to that diagnosis as soon as I hit the ground I couldn't feel my legs so I knew straight away that you know this isn't great um, and when the ambulances got there they do an initial assessment just to see sort of I guess which hospital do you need to go to what uh, level of emergency is this so he kind of felt my spine and he got to the brake site and I think I swore at him and then <laughs> went further down I couldn't feel it come back up swore at him again and then I could feel up to my neck so he knew that you know that was um, paralysis straight away so um, I was put on morphine so sort of in a happy place I didn't really um, come to until um, after surgery and I was in ICU for a matter of hours just sort of getting over the sedative and then when I got onto the ward it was the next day that the surgeon came in and all my family was around me I had to be on bed vest so I couldn't I couldn't have a pillow like I had to lie flat for about five days so he come in to speak to everyone and I'm staring at the roof sort of listening to the conversation I've got dad holding this hand mum holding this hand and he's saying you know she'll never walk again um so it was it was pretty instantaneously that we knew that you know something was something bad and um yeah he was saying that she'll never walk um so of course the family broke down and and I was like you know it's fine like I'm gonna walk like you know I'm still alive don't cry it's all good um so yeah the awkward thing was that I'd also had three broken ribs and a punctured lung but they didn't tell me that so the focus was really on my spine and whilst you know, sort of going through that initial rehab, I kept saying on my sides really sore, like I just can't seem to do as much because it hurts on that side. And yeah, it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that they said, oh, well, it's probably because you had broken ribs. And I was like, why doesn't anyone tell me that? Did that just <laughs> slip your mind? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think just because the spinal is just uh, so important to focus on that. Yeah, it just was a second sort of injury that was just minor in their eyes yeah (laughs) how did you retain such a positive mindset you know to be able to compare it to well the fact that you were alive and that was a a pretty large silver lining how were you able to maintain that in that moment I think about this a lot and a lot of people ask me this but I just have no idea I think it was just something I've just got in me whether it's because I've grown up around the farm and sort of have that different sense of self um yeah I I don't really know but I just always sort of been a positive person um always sort of had a smile on my face but the other thing is I sort of always look out for others in one way and another so I think in that moment I was just thinking oh we'll just make sure everyone else is okay and then I'll come back to it but it never really never really hit home as such you know you could imagine if say if you broke your spine you'd be thinking oh crap like 
what the hell, like, this is my life, blah, blah, blah. No, that didn't really happen. And I don't know if it's because I sort of jumped straight into rehab and straight into, you know, trying to sit up or learning how to put clothes on again or that sort of thing, whether those sort of goals kind of kept my mind busy. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I've just always had this positive attitude. And I really wish I could teach people how to do it or, you know, coach them through what, what it was that I did, but I just have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it, if you could bottle that and sell it as like some sort of resilience elixir, then you would be yeah. a very quick millionaire because it's something that we all want, isn't it? And also for our children mm. to know how to be able to pull ourselves up by our socks and in such a, yeah. a life-changing moment. For you, you had been such an active person and obviously very um, physically active in your work working on your family farm as well as a, a really competitive horse rider I mean did those things how much that would change flash through your head as well like were you really looking at well just how much your life would change in that moment um it's it's hard to say um because I think I focused on you know more those rehab goals I definitely was thinking about like you know, more um, immediate things like going home, what was living at home going to look like, um, you know, just sort of those, um, yeah, more immediate uh, life-changing things. Mm. So after I got home, yeah, it was sort of, oh, you know, can I ride a horse again? So I sort of did things in steps, if that made sense. And it wasn't like a, you know, plan, like just think about this, just think about this. It was just kind of, I was just thinking about going home, what I need to do to go home. And then once I was home, I thought, what am I going to do? Social life or sport, whatever it was. So maybe that was the um, the key <laughs> to getting through all that. But it's really hard because no one knows what they, how they're going to react or what they're going to do until they've kind of been pushed into that moment. Like you could talk about it all you like. And, you know, my partner often says, oh, I don't know how you do it. It was, you know, you might be the same. You never know. Like, if you broke your spine, you might act a lot better than I. Like you just, you really don't know until you're sort of forced into that situation. So I think I was just one of the lucky ones um, with a, a, a good positive attitude. But it always made um, working with the nurses and the rehab physicians and everything quite easy because they really liked working with me and they were quite happy to do a bit more for me because I was just, uh, I guess, a bit easier to deal with <laughs> yeah. and quite happy to follow their advice. Yeah, we're you can probably understand that not everyone is sort of like that. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. And being on the ward, I guess you're seeing people like that all the time, others who have been thrust into life situations that they weren't expecting. Yeah. So it wasn't a whole lot of younger people. There was quite a few older generation coming through. Um, there was a couple of young guys Um no other girls actually the really young guys and there was a young guy who was sort of out from our area so I'm at Cowra and he was at Dubbo so he had a football accident and broke his neck so he'd been there before I got there but his family really helped my parents sort of get through the initial shock so that was a really nice thing just having um sort of a a country family <laughs> sort of get together and yeah just just advice and, and things to go through but um yeah the older people coming through um it was it was a bit hard because I think they you know living majority of their life one way and now they've you know 
got to live in a wheelchair, it's, it can be quite a shock. And maybe that was another thing that helped me because I was only 21. I'd had 21 years of living the way I was and I was, you know, still young. My arms are still very strong, still had all my core muscles. So maybe that was just a huge help. I don't know. <laughs> Mm. You were working with your partner at the time, who's now your husband, is that correct? We're not quite married yet, but we are engaged. <laughs> We've been engaged for two years, but we're just, with COVID and everything, we're just, we'll get to it. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it, that's not, that's quite um, low on the old priorities list at the moment, I imagine. But for you two, you know, how did you dance that dynamic between that big shift in your lives and your relationship? Just the change yeah so when it first sort of happened and I was in hospital um you know straight up Angie said you know just to be honest with me he said I don't care if you hate the world and want to go roll off a cliff like just be honest with me so we can talk about it and of course that is a huge thing in um helping through situations and support roles is being very honest and open about your emotions so that was a huge help um and it didn't occur to me a lot of people when I went to the rehab a lot of people asked me you know were they were you scared that Andrew was going to leave you and it did not cross my mind at all so I think there was just a sense of you know Andrew's here because you know he loves the person that I am not the fact that I'm devastatingly beautiful and can walk around and do all these other cool things so does not love me for um, my legs (laughs) yeah that's right yeah so that was really settling um I guess for my soul just to be able to focus on what I needed to get home and and know that he was going to be there when we got home but yeah it was just honest communication and he would visit me um sort of half of one week um like half of every week sorry and my dad would do the other half so they set up this system because Andrew was still working for my dad for the farm someone still had to be at home and and look after things on the farm so yeah dad would come and then they'd sort of swap over and Andrew would look after the place so dad would be here and then you know dad would go home and look after the place so Andrew could be here so it was really great I got to see them all um yeah and the hospital was great they had like um like carer rooms so you could just sort of book it and it was just really cheap and yeah they just sort of give you a bed really just to mm-hmm. stay just so it could stay a couple of nights um yeah it's pretty handy having a boss that really knew the ins and outs of the situation well that's right too yeah um it was a uh, very I guess convenient that my dad was our boss and could understand what was <laughs> what was going on but I think any boss in that situation would just say yep you know you do what you need to of course of course and so with rehab I mean how quickly were you uh back on a horse and was that something that was always in the back of your mind I think it was um, when I was in the hospital, it was only a couple of weeks after my accident that my sister was looking at paradressage and she thought, oh, you know, this would be good to get into. And she didn't mean immediately, but I was thinking, oh, we might as well look at it because the paradressage is the only sport that takes you well, with horses to the Paralympic Games. Mm-hmm. There is plenty of other horse riding things you can do as a para, but that one is the one that's going to take you to high performance. So she was sort of backgrounding and checking out all that sort of stuff and it happened to be that an old uni mate of hers was the high performance manager of paradressage for equestrian australia so and she heard about you know my accident and just messaged my sister and just said you know anything you need you want any information just let us know so she was really great to sort of bit of support to get going but um while i was in the rehab um the 
recreational facilitator found like an old saddle that someone had donated so we just kind of made a bit of a stand just so I could sit in the saddle and see what it felt like so we sort of did that throughout rehab and it was towards the end that he was able to take me out to the riding for the disabled at Box Hill so I was able to ride a horse there for the first time so that was a little bit scary just getting on because you've got to get from your wheelchair onto the horse without How do you walking. do that? Yeah. Yeah, so they've got a ramp um, set up. So they've got an indoor arena and they've got uh, like their club room and everything and it sort of sits higher because everything's on a bit of a hill so it works out quite well. And there's a platform and it sort of sits up higher. So my chair, sitting in the chair, the horse would be next to the platform and the saddle would sort of be at the same uh, height as I would be sitting in mm. so you just got to sort of transfer across so I would put one leg over onto the horse and then sort of jump onto the saddle yeah so it took a couple of tries and just some different techniques and a you know few heavy blokes to <laughs> catch me if I fell sort of thing so but no it was really good I got to walk around um, and walk around on my own and that's all I needed to do it just it just felt very natural um it didn't really feel much different it just you know I just couldn't kick or use my legs but beyond that it was you know it was pretty normal but I was only walking at that point too um and then after I got home I got home early 2018 and for the rest of that year I linked in with the Cowra riding for the disabled so I went with them um and just rode once a week just same sort of thing just doing some walk and then we ended up trialing some saddles. So we sort of would do that at the RDA. And then, you know, I'd just try more things. So I'll just go for a bit of a trot while someone's leading me, see how that feels. And then ended up trotting on my own. And, you know, one thing just sort of led to another. Um, so that was great for that year. And then I was actually pregnant for 2019 and then got my own horse in 2020. So, yeah, took off from there. So for you, what do horses mean? I mean, how big a role have they played in your life your and your childhood? Um, I've been around horses forever. <laughs> I think I was born into the horse world. <laughs> so my uh, grandparents um, respectively have their own pony studs and my mum breeds and, you know, we've just been around horses from the get-go. My sister rides, my dad rides every now and then <laughs> but um yeah we've always grown up riding horses you know doing pony club venting dressage everything show jumping just sort of a range of things um yeah so they've always been in our life and I had just started my own stock horse stud uh beginning of 2017 so it was only a couple of months in um and I'd just broken in a mare and um yeah, I took her to a couple of outings and then had my accident. So I sort of kept in trying to do that sort of stuff. But when you've got a stud, like you've got to deal with young horses and foals mm. and you've just got to be able to manoeuvre and sort of get out of the way of danger pretty much. So a lot of that responsibility sort of fell on my mom and my sister and Andrew. Um, so I sort of... Uh, so like just kind of kept the stud really small, just had one or maybe two foals just as there wasn't so much responsibility on everyone else because I do like to be quite independent as I can. Mm. Um, so, yeah, then that's sort of – I still do that, but it's still just sort of at one foal a year, which is fine because that means I get to sort of still spend time with them and, and do the things that I can, but 
that sort of the stuff that I can't, the initial, you know, putting rugs on or picking feet up or mm. um, even just catching them for the first time because they're running away from you, <laughs> um, that sort of stuff. Like it's not so much of a big job for someone else to do. Yeah. It must have been a pretty special thing to be able to transfer, you know, you, you've lost the use of your legs but you still have the use of a horse's legs. So that ability to be mobile must be a pretty special thing. Yeah, so that whole year um, of doing RDA at Cara, every time I got on the horse, I was like, this is cool. Like, you know, I can't walk, but I can still walk around while on a horse. So that, that whole year, every time I got on a horse, it was just such a special feeling. It sort of fizzled out now where I'm like, yep, I can ride a horse, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's, yeah, they walk around. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it sort of kept my motivation to, um, yeah, keep keep trying each week to just go out because some you know some days you just oh, I can't be bothered and it's not the fact that it's I'm in a chair or anything it's just the fact that some days you wake up and you're like oh I just want to go back to sleep so that was a nice motivator and then of course doing physio I was working on the muscles that I needed to ride better so you know all it sort of all um, centred around the horse riding. Yeah, no definitely and so then 2019 you fell pregnant. Tell me yeah, about your yeah. journey to motherhood and what it was like welcoming Elliot into the world. Yeah, so before I speak, I'm so sorry for anyone who has had morning sickness or anything because I had the smoothest pregnancy ever. No cravings, no morning sickness, no weird and wonderful anything. So I was really lucky because, you know, being in the chair that could have made it a bit harder um you know I can't run to the toilet and throw up but yeah um really really easy pregnancy didn't have any problems um the only thing I sort of did was my obstetrician just wanted to scan a bit um more regularly just to keep an eye on baby's growth just in case he got too big or whatever it was but um I ended up inducing at what was almost 38 weeks I think it was a day off 38 weeks so it was pretty well ready anyway um yeah natural birth um that was <laughs> I, I thought I could do it and he was like oh we'll just see how you go and I was like no I'll be fine so they sort of I was at Orange Hospital and he's like we'll just have a cesarean um theater set up just in case which is that's a fair point but um yeah in labor all day and I was fully dilated at the same time he had another lady fully dilated so he delivered her baby so I'm waiting there for an extra hour and a half and I can feel all the contractions so I'm yeah just really hated him in that hour and a half so yeah but I can understand because he thought maybe if I'd had any problems he wasn't going to be able to get to her so he just did her come back to me <laughs> just said yeah, just cross your legs Felicity. <laughs> well that's right I'm like far out come on <laughs> anyway yeah natural birth hurt like hell but he's out healthy um I can't remember what he weighed now I think he was well I don't even know anyway I think he was almost <laughs> three kilos night, yeah all these mothers remember all that kind of stuff and here I am going, I don't even remember never know he was really good and then straight away he was just a really good baby um I didn't change a nappy the whole time I was in hospital so we stayed a couple of days longer just in case I wasn't quite healed or anything like that um, because I don't have full sensation. Mm. So just in case we just thought we'd hang around for a couple of extra days um, and they were, you know, the hospital was fully supportive of that and could understand why it's a little bit of a, a unique birth. Um, 
but yeah, then got home, um, you know, sort of settled in and as babies grow so quickly, the routine sort of kept changing, um, you know, like picking him up was like, it was all right. But when he started to sort of want to crawl and things, I really struggled to pick him up off the ground. Mm. So yeah, I kind of remember how I did it now, but yeah, I used to have like um, the bassinet, like the side sleeper and I'd sort of move it around the house and then I could just um, get on the ground with him and then pick him up because the side had come down. I'd pick him up, put it in there, mm. zip it up, get back in my chair and then I could pick him up from there. So that, that worked a fair bit. Um, and then he was in sleeping next to us for six months and then he went into his room and the cot we got just had like a different side so I could do it. So it was all fairly normal. It was just mm-hmm. uh, a couple of sort of adaptive things and the way I did things was a little bit more um, adaptive. But it was really easy actually because um, sitting down all the time, he would just sit on my lap and I'd just have like the baby carrier, like your backpack, but I'd have it on the front. And he'd just sit on my lap. So if I had to go to town, just sit on my lap and I'd stroll around or, you know, someone would come with me and help me. But, no, it was it was surprisingly easy. Um, yeah. You've just got to be a little bit inventive with some things. But, no, he was he was great. And also have a can-do attitude. I mean, it doesn't sound well, like yeah, you ever quit. <laughs> but you never seem to, well, just talking to you, to question your ability to do whatever. There doesn't seem to be any doubt yeah. in your mind. I think because I'd had a couple of years in the chair, I'd sort of knew what my limits were, what I can and couldn't do. Um, and if I wasn't sure, I'd just have a go. And then if I couldn't do it, I knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. yeah I, it's just, I, yeah, I just sort of look at it as a fact of life and not the fact that, oh, I can't do it because I'm in a wheelchair. I was like, oh, I can't do it because I can't bend over or I can't, you know, move that leg or something. I don't know. It's just, it's factual. My legs don't move. <laughs> yeah. Don't get upset. <laughs> And so with some of the adaptive technologies, what were some of those that you implemented at the farm so that you were able to stay there and, and work and, and do that sort of thing? Yeah, so the whole house got renovated. Um, so bathroom, we sort of changed our room around a bit. It was quite an old home. Well, it still is an old home, but we'd sort of changed a few of the walls. It was quite sort of a bit of a maze, a bit pokey, had those little pokey rooms. So we sort of knocked some walls down and put some up in other places, just made it a little bit more open. Um, and that was great, you know, ramps in and out. Um, and then the garage wasn't suitable. The roof was too low, but we couldn't hide, like we couldn't um, raise the roof. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> We ended up knocking it down and put up a shed and, you know, got automatic doors and things like that. And my gym equipment's out there and my car got adapted. So it's got hand controls. It's actually quite cool. So on the, uh, on your steering wheel, there's like a secondary ring and I push that and that's my accelerator. So that's uh, electronic. And then the brake is a handle beside the steering wheel and I push it and it's mechanical. So it just sort of has um, a, you know, pole just going straight to the brake pedal. So it's mechanical. And I asked why that wouldn't be electronic. And they just said, you know, if you've ever got any electric problems, you'll always have brakes. Yeah. That is, yeah, a very good idea. (laughs) It must have been so awesome that first drive and like that liberating feeling. Yeah. So I had to surrender my license and then go through like a, a driving instructor and do another driving test. Mm-hmm. And 
I failed the first one because I'd been driving for so long. I turned onto another road and crossed the double lines just because that's what you do when it's a bit of a tight corner. So anyway, I failed. So (laughs) come back and didn't do that the second time. So yeah, when, when I was driving on my own, yeah, it was kind of weird. I was like, Oh, he's gone. Like he's not here anymore. So no, it was really good. I just, I think I just went, Got some macas or something. Yeah, <laughs> as you do. exactly what you did when you had your peas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, peas again. Um, so yeah, the license is pretty normal. It's just got um, what they call conditions, and it's just that I have to have a fitness to drive assessment through the doctor, and it's pretty much just to make sure that everything's sort of the same. And then yeah, I've got those conditions um, of hand controls. And so you got your first horse in 2020. Was the goal always the Olympics? Talk me through that process of finding the right no. horse. No. So I wanted to get a horse just because I wanted to ride. <laughs> so I got a stock horse because I love stock horses and I know how reliable they are. So mm-hmm. she was actually three when I got her. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to ride around the farm and just, you know, mum's got a bit of a setup and, you know, we've got the arena there and, started riding and everything was going really well and I'd started doing some sort of dressage movements and um yeah uh, we there was a couple of competitions coming up and our local club has what they call training days where you can go and do the test without being like an actual competition so we went there and did that ended up getting the highest percentage scored on the day out of everyone so that was sort of like oh wow we should do a comp so did a comp and we did what's a prep test and it's walk and trot. So there was no real pressure to do anything else. And I did that against able-bodied people, ended up winning, smashed it. So I was like, well, we might as well keep going. So then, yeah, kept going with her. And unfortunately she went lame. So now I've got this new horse and um, yeah, it's turned into um, a Paralympic adventure. Um, I've just sort of, people have just been saying, you might as well just have a go. So yeah, I'm not too worried if I if I don't make it. I'd really like to shortlist, but I'm not going to go and cry myself to sleep if I don't make the team. But it's just a goal. <laughs> yeah, it's just a goal to complete. And yeah, like I'm, you know, putting everything towards it. Don't get me wrong. Like it's it's definitely something I want to do, but it's not going to kill me if I don't. <laughs> well, I don't think much will, mate. You're <laughs> you're pretty strong. But with the um the aids, like how did you? train that is that whip based do you carry two whips to to help with the aids and the movements yeah so that's a little bit more specific to my grade so in para dressage you get classified into five grades five being the best being well I shouldn't say best or worst I should say most five is your most abled yeah and one is your least abled and so from your disability they'll put you into these grades and you should be able to um compete you know for those tests and and within those um, modifications and adaptions you're allowed so for my grade which is grade three I'm allowed yeah two whips um, straps to hold me in the saddle um, a seat saver which because I don't have bum muscles it just saves my um, pelvis sort of creating pressure sores um, and I can use my voice in normal dressage you're not supposed to use a voice mm-hmm. um, so yeah help uh, talking really helps mm-hmm. so yeah we kind of Went through all the aids and a lot of it was trial and error with Fancy, who was the, my stock horse that I was riding, the poor girl. She was really good. You know, I started to get going with the trot and I'd use the whips to go forward. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do some movements here, like a leg yield, which is when you're trotting straight, but 
you're going sideways. So I'd have to use the whip for that. So I was like, oh, I'm going to have to change it. So a lot of trial and error for her. I think I've sort of got it now. Um, but yeah, the whips are sort of uh, supposed to replace your leg aids and which they do in some ways, but other times, you know, sort of using them to move the horse around, which I suppose your legs do anyway. So yeah, mm. they're pretty much replacing the legs. And then the voice is there to sort of reiterate um, what you're asking or if you want more forward or if you want to come back to a halt, whatever it is. Yeah. So cool. And so Max, is it your, your recent, your new horse, where did you purchase yep. him and, and did he come trained or are you in the process? So he came from Queensland. Um, I've been searching for a horse about 12 months and we went everywhere. Poor, my poor sister, I dragged her around everywhere <laughs> um, to trial these horses. So he's 14 and he's done a lot of dressage. So he's trained in well yeah dressage is an able-bodied rider so he knows what he needs to do and so at home I'm training those movements but with new aids so it's it's retraining but he knows what he has to do if that makes sense so mm. you just sort of gotta use the whips um, and the voice to try and get what it is I'm asking uh, and but still try and do it the same way as an able-bodied would so then he knows what I'm asking and then I can sort of modify it from there as to what I would do. But I do lunge him. Uh, I've been lunging him a fair bit just to get the voice aids going and he's mm. he's very trainable. He sort of knows what the voice aids are now. Sometimes when he's not focusing, he doesn't, but <laughs> that's anyone. Um, so, yeah, he's – yeah, so he's really trainable. He's been He's been great, yeah. And so how do you make the shortlist? What is the process to getting to – is it Paris next year? Yeah, yeah, I think Paris will be the one to get to because the um, dressage is held at the Chateau Versailles, as they say it. It's got like the big gardens and, you know, all the scenery. So that'll be really Fabulous. nice to get to. Yeah, so to shortlist, I just have to satisfy the qualification requirements. They aren't out yet, but it'll be uh, about three certain events that I have to get to. I do have to do the Paralympic tests and get above a certain score. So mm. we are working towards that. Um, I think it's very achievable. We, The first competition we did, we were two levels down from the Paralympic tests and we'll work up to the second um, or the one down from the Paralympic tests I'm hoping to do in April. Yeah. So from there, we should almost be ready to step into the Paralympic tests. And when will we find out? Like when do you find out if you shortlist? Ah, uh, well, if I if I know I've done the correct percentages and the correct events, then I pretty well from the get go will know I've shortlisted. But you know, they're closer to the games. They'll have um, official announcements and things like that. So the games are held in September twenty twenty four. So any time before that, <laughs> I don't really know because the uh, qualification requirements aren't out yet. We don't yeah. actually know what events they are. So yeah it'll probably mid next year we'll know yeah seriously exciting so in terms of support I mean how much does that cost and is there a way that our community the Grazy Who community can help in any way I, it's a huge financial cost um, because a lot of the events are interstate so travel costs and then of course you've got to stay at the venue for so long um so camping you know hotels all that sort of thing costs a lot plus the entries to um to 
compete in the tests uh, quite high because they're such a high level test because as you go up the grade the price goes up <laughs> so um, yeah it's it's not cheap um, which is unfortunate because we do have a lot of Australia has a lot of talented riders but unfortunately because it's such a big financial burden they they can't do it so financial help is about the only thing you really can do um everything else I've sort of got sorted I know what I need to do have you got a page or something where people can go yeah so I I did set up a GoFundMe um and that's on my Facebook page which is Felicity Wheel Para Equestrian Mm -hmm. so if you go to that page you'll find it I think it's a pinned post at the moment (laughs) yeah so if you're happy to donate through the GoFundMe I'd really really appreciate it it'll just help get to those qualifying events um yeah I don't think there's anything else I need to do (laughs) we just want to be cheering you on we want to watch you on tv around those that that'd be fabulous really chateau cool. <laughs> yeah yeah that'd cool. be so cool yeah. um well felicity thank you so much for chatting today i've absolutely loved it and uh yeah you've left me with the biggest smile on my face i think you're incredibly remarkable and super inspiring that's no that's great that's my aim but yeah thank you so much for having me i've had yeah a really lovely time i've been smiling the whole time i'm sure you can hear it so yeah thank you <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> What a magic woman. If you were shaking your head throughout that interview, just generally amazed by Felicity's resilience, well, same. I tried imagining how I would react if I was placed in the same situation, and honestly, I can't picture just how much my life would change. But like Felicity says, you simply can't know how you'll adapt to a situation until you're faced with it. But I think we can all agree that she's someone we can look to when faced with adversity, and see the ultimate model for grace, acceptance, perseverance, and innovation. An extraordinary, extraordinary woman. Thank you also to our community, our Grazy Her listeners and readers and sharers. You are the reason we have this enormous privilege of telling the stories of these amazing women. Please continue to rate and review us on whatever app you're listening on before you go. That helps to push us to the top of the food chain and helps us get new listeners. Until next time, keep well. I'm Em Herbert and this is a Grazy Her podcast. Mm-hmm.